0: Man, thanks, Brian. Good morning, everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are continuing with our three-part series on the topic of calling. So if you're new with us or you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. You can find it on our website uh, or through our podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. Um, I would encourage you to go back and listen because this series we're gonna build each week on the ideas that we, that, we, uh, that we talked about before. And so we began this series last week, Quick Catch-Up, talking about this question that sits at the heart of the the whole series. And it's a question that comes to all of us at different times in life and lingers with us uh, for most of our life. And the question is, what should I do with my life? What what should I do with this one life that I have been given to live? Maybe it came to you early in childhood when someone asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do when you grow up? The hard thing is, We get into adulthood and a lot of us are still asking ourselves that question. What am I going to do? What am I going to be when I grow up? And despite all the ways we've come to understand, our culture has come to understand this concept of of calling, when we go to the Bible, particularly the New Testament, to find out what what does Jesus have to say about this concept, this idea that we would find a a clear, straightforward, unambiguous direction towards something particular in our life, particularly as it relates to work, What, what we find is... That's just not there. Not in any normative way that we should all expect to find something like that. But what we do find in Scripture is that there's a call that we're all invited to. We're all called to. And that is the call to relationship and to follow Jesus. And when we accept this call, when we come to Jesus, he gives us freedom. First and foremost, he gives us freedom from guilt and anxiety and all the pressures that we feel from our world and from people around us to be something, to create something. When we come to Jesus, the first thing he says is before you do anything, you're fine, you're okay, you're accepted, you're loved. He frees us from that guilt, that shame, that anxiety of figuring out who we are and he frees us to something, to a new life, lived in relationship with him. And in this relationship, we find that that God is our Father and we are His children. And before we do anything else with our lives, that's enough. This is the core identity of who we are as presented by the scripture. It's the core identity that we are to live from, not from our jobs, not our marital status, or our ethnicity, or our sexuality, or our gender, or age, or socioeconomic status. Not that these things aren't important, and not that these things aren't unique, parts of our life that allow us to reflect who we were uniquely created to be, but you set all that aside and at the core all of us are created and loved by God and enough before we do anything else. And so when we come to Jesus and we lay all those things down, we accept that we're enough and we choose to follow Him, He asks us another question. Another question. He We bring our question, what should I do with my life to him? And he asks another question, what do you want to do? So Jesus answering a question with a question, what do you want to do? Literally, we see this throughout the stories of Jesus's life. The four accounts that we have, the gospels that tell us the story of Jesus's life. Multiple times people came to him, sometimes with very obvious problems. And Jesus would ask them this question, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want from me? He would seem to ask them, what are you looking for? Do you want a revolutionary? Are you looking for a king? Are you thinking you're going to get on the ground floor of the new kingdom that's starting? What is it that you want, a teacher, a healer? Do you want somebody who will help make your life better, help you figure out what to do with your life? What is it that you want? That is the question. It's the first, the last, and the most fundamental question for anyone who steps out and chooses to follow Jesus, what do you want? Coming to Jesus, what do you want? Norton led us through asking ourselves that question, and that may have been difficult for you. It may have been hard to come up with what are the things that you want. I mean, we think about the easy things like it's almost lunch and I'm hungry. I'd like a sandwich. But sometimes the deeper things in life, like what do I want to do with my life? What what kind of career do I want to pursue? What do I want in terms of my relationships? Sometimes those are harder things to get to. Because the thing about want, the thing about desire, is that it exists at a really precognitive level, at a really deep level inside of us. Whether you want to call that your gut or your heart, it seems that desire comes from a place that's, again, it's not intellectual, it's not about logic. The heart, as Emily Dickinson said, and Selena Gomez, the heart wants what it wants. We don't have to think about wanting things. We just want them. In his book, You Are What You Love, uh, philosopher and theologian James K.A. Smith talks about this dynamic. And I love the way he puts this. He says, to be human is to be animated and oriented by some vision of the good life, some picture of what we think counts as flourishing. We want that. We crave it. We desire it. This is why our most fundamental mode of orientation to the world is love. We are oriented by our longings, directed by our desires. We adopt ways of life that are indexed to such visions of the good life. Not usually because we think through our options, but rather because some picture captures our imagination. No one has to teach us to want things. No one has to teach us to desire things. It's something that's just naturally a part of who we are as human beings. And if this is true, and I believe it is, then regardless of what you say you want, no matter what came to your mind this morning, to really find out what you want, we'd have to start looking at what you do every single day, your daily habits, your choices, your decisions every single day. Point us towards the things that you really want, because The question of what should I do with my life is answered in you're already doing it. It's answered in looking at the, the daily choices, the behaviors of your life. I love how Annie Dillard put this, the writer, she said, we spend our day, the way we spend our days is, of course, the way we spend our lives. What we are doing with this hour or that one is what we are doing. So as you think about this question of what is it that you want The real answer to that is what are you already doing? What are you already pursuing? We already have some subconscious idea of of what we think will bring about our best life and we're making choices and decisions in that direction every single day. So this is the first problem of desire. I think this is the first problem. What is the gap between what I say I want and what I'm actually pursuing every day? As you think about your life, in all of its dimensions, your personal life, Think about your health and your wellness. Think about your education, your experiences, all of the things that just you do. What do you want? And is your life aligning with those desires? What about for your work, your paid and unpaid work, the way that you use your capacities, your gifts, your training, your skills? How are your aspirations or desires for your work aligning with your choices every day? What about our family relationships? What do we want out of our relationship with our spouse, our children, our parents, our siblings, our extended family, with our closest friends, our chosen family? Is what we want aligning with our choices and our decisions or is there a gap there? If you were to take all of these things and you look at them and then you were to look at your daily habits, would they align? Now, at this level, this first problem is just basic life management. We haven't even gotten to God's part of this at all. This is just what do you want, what do you say that you want, and how are your actions aligning. And each choice, each decision, each day, each hour, each week, each year is either moving you towards or away from what you say you want. So either stop saying that you want it and just admit this is what you want, or begin to change your actions or behaviors. But there's a bigger problem that we have going on. Don't miss this. This is the deeper problem. Our deeper problem is the question that we need to ask ourselves, and it's this. Is our vision of what's our best life, is it actually real? So so if you were able to get the things that you want, if you were able to clarify and really get a sense of, no, that is actually what I want, and I need to start aligning my life to actually being able to get it, what if you actually got it? What if you actually accomplished those things? What if you got that job? What if you got that relationship? What if if you had those possessions or those things that you so deeply want? Would it actually be fulfilling to you in any real or meaningful or lasting way? Would you be experiencing your best life? Would you be flourishing if those desires were fulfilled? I think the sad answer for many of us is no, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. The reason is that we often expect too much from the things that we want. It's not that our desires are bad or wrong or sinful, it's just that we expect too much. We expect jobs or status or possessions or relationships to fulfill us in some ultimate way. But inevitably, they don't. They let us down. We need more of them or different ones. They, they continue to not fulfill us or keep us content. In 2005, the writer David Foster Wallace gave a commencement address at Kenyon College that was entitled, This is Water. I would enc- encourage you to look it up and listen to it. Uh, Wallace was not um, a religious person by any means. He was a writer. Um, He grew up in an atheist household, but his writing seems to reflect that he was always fascinated with the role of religion in American life. And he points out that for the graduates that day that the things that we pursue by default will often lead us to disappointment. And his call to them that day was part of being educated is the opportunity to live a self-aware life, to wake up and begin to think about your choices and your decisions. But I think he gets to a deeper problem that scripture warns us about as well. Take a listen to this little clip from the address.
1: There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough never feel you have enough it's the truth worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly and when time and age start showing you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you on one level we all know this stuff already it's been codified as myths proverbs cliches epigrams parables the skeleton of every great story The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it is that they are unconscious, They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And the so-called real world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the so-called real world of men and money and power comes merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship of self Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom all to be lords of our own tiny skull-sized kingdoms, alone at the center of all creation. This kind of freedom has much to recommend it, but of course there are all different kinds of freedom, and the kind that is most precious, you will not hear much talked about much in the great outside world of wanting and achieving and displaying. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and being able truly to care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in myriad petty little unsexy ways every day
0: i feel like wallace just nails this concept and he uses a religious word he talks about worship as the end of these loves that that these loves these desires that we have when we begin to look for them to fulfill us in ultimate ways, what we're doing is we're worshiping them. We're giving them a kind of power over us and looking to them to fulfill us in ways that they simply cannot do. It is, again, it's not that they're, that they're bad or they're wrong or they're sinful, but we make these lesser temporal things, ultimate things, and we turn them into what the Bible calls idols. Idols inevitably let us down because they can't provide ultimate fulfillment. We were made by God to worship him alone. As St. Augustine said, God, you have made us and drawn us to yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you, which is why the invitation to follow Jesus ultimately leads us to confronting some of these misleading desires, the default settings, as Wallace talked about them, to bring our desires to Jesus and to ask him what's real and what's not real to help us sort through to find am I heading towards something that's going to be ultimately disappointing we bring our desires to Jesus and we take steps of trust in him that he is as he claimed to be the way the truth and the life and the only one who leads us to real lasting sustained fulfillment and this process of letting go of our default desires giving up on pursuing things that we think are going to bring satisfaction is hard. It's painful. It may at times even feel like a kind of death. But it is the way of following Jesus to let go and allow these desires to die and to be resurrected, to to be reborn so that we can love them and appreciate these things that we want in life in a way that we don't expect them to fulfill us in an ultimate way. When we recognize that everything that we receive that is good in this life is a shadow, a reflection of the goodness of a God who loves us and desires us to have good things, to experience good things. There's nothing wrong with desire. It's just that we, we don't desire deeply enough. Over and over and over again, the New Testament talks about this way of life, of dying and being reborn as a new person, as the way to life. That it's a lifelong process that we take each day in small and simple ways. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul talks about it in his letter to the church in Colossae. This is from Eugene Peterson's message translation. Paul writes, so if you're serious about living this new resurrected, resurrection life with, with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you, pursuing your default desires. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Those words, your old life is dead, your new life, which is your real life, is with Christ in God. And this life with Christ isn't simply about giving things up or denying ourselves or denying our desires as if that was even possible. How can you deny the thing that is within you that you want? You can't. But as you begin to give it to Jesus, to allow it to die and be reborn with him in a new way, you may discover that he gives you the deeper things that you want all along. Again, it's not that our desires are, are for too much, but maybe it's that therefore too little great C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his essay, The Weight of Glory. He said, the New Testament has a lot to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, then I would submit that this notion has crept in from philosophy, from Kant and the Stoics, and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. This is the life that we are invited to in Christ. This is our one true calling. called to live a life in relationship with Jesus that leads us to an abundant kind of life. It begins now and it extends into eternity. And it changes every aspect of the way we think about this life and what we should do with it. Our work, our families, our relationships, everything. And so the question from Jesus remains. We come to him and ask What should I do with my life? And he asks, what do you want? What do you want? so as we close, I want to invite you to take some more time this week. We started this process this morning reflecting on that question. What do you want? I want you to take some time this week. When you can get alone and take a few minutes, maybe you do it a few times this week and ask yourself that question. Maybe write it down on a piece of paper and just start writing out honestly the things that you want. And then invite God into that process. It can become a kind of prayer. As you invite God in, you might have to do this for a while to sit with those desires and begin to ask, God, how would you shape These things that I want? What is it that I really want that might be underneath these things? Is there something that you've read in scripture that's piqued your interest, maybe challenged the way that you think about some practice or some regular habit in your life? Is there something that you've heard in a message or a podcast that you feel like God may be nudging you to kind of consider? This doesn't have to be, guidance from God doesn't have to be a booming voice from on high. So far as I know, there's one guy who's talked to a burning bush and that's it. The rest of history seems to be people each day coming to the revealed nature of God's will in scripture and asking, "God, what what do you want for me? Here's what I want." And often God looks back and says, "Huh, that sounds fine. Why don't you do that?" The closer we get to God, the more that I think he gives us freedom to pursue the desires of our hearts because our hearts align with his. And the next obvious question is, what will I do? As I get clear about what, what is it that God wants for me, well, now what will I do? Will I actually begin to align my daily life, my practices, my habits, to begin pursuing that vision of what I believe is God's best life for me? If you've been around New Denver for a while, you know that one of our values is the value of practices. That we believe that the small decisions, the daily habits and routines are the things that shape us. We're already being shaped. We're already engaged in habits and practices, but where did they come from? They came from a world that's telling us to pursue these lesser things. And the only question is, will we pick our head up from the steps right in front of us that everyone else is taking? Will we pick our head up and look to Christ to ask, wait, where do I need to go? What steps do I need to take? I have a clear picture, but how, how do I need to change what I do each day? It might be helpful for you to go back and re-engage some of the teaching we've done on this concept of practices. We did a series called Common Practices a couple years ago. You can still find that on our website. It might be helpful to revisit that, or if, you've never, if you weren't here then, to go back and listen to it now. And if all that seems overwhelming, sitting and reflecting with God and going back and listening to like more homework, if you're not interested in that, just come back next week and the week after that, and the week after that. This community exists for one purpose, to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. We are all trying to figure this out. This question, what do I do with my life, nobody sitting around you has figured that out. Nobody around you. We come to church, and sometimes we think we're the only ones who don't have it all together. We're day by day, step by step, trying to figure that out. And this is a place where I would encourage you to engage. Come each week, getting involved, get to know some other people that are trying to pursue God in the same way. This happens slowly, step by step, over time. So as we close, let's pray that God would help us to begin or to continue that journey, to wake up to the resurrected life that he's called us to. Let's pray. I start just with the immense gratitude um, from my own life and experience of knowing that freedom is real. Freedom is real and it's something that we can experience. We get tastes, tastes and glimpses of this each day as we come to you with our lesser desires and we let those go. We let them die and be reborn as you lead us to a kind of freedom of letting go of the expectations that we put on ourselves, people around us put on us, that our world puts on us, as we take on the easy and the light yoke of following Jesus, we learn that we are enough. We learn that sometimes our desires are looking for things we already have, that contentment is more about realizing we've already God, so much that you've given us acceptance and love. We don't have to prove. We don't have to make our way in the world. You've already given us our identity. God, help us to live from that place. Help us to take the steps each day to remind ourselves. This isn't new information for many of us, but we need to be reminded. Help us to make our choices each day to renew our minds to this truth, to set our eyes on you. And day by day, step by step, decision by decision, lead us to freedom, lead us to life, lead us to you. We pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.